Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. This morning, turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to start there. I mentioned to you last week that the gospel writers devoted an extensive amount of time to the last week of Jesus' life. One-third of Matthew, one-third of Mark is devoted to that final week. One-quarter of Luke is devoted to that final week. And fully one-half of John is devoted to that entire week. If I were to direct you to one passage to read that really describes it well, I'd say go read John chapters 18 and 19, and you will see what happened in the final closing moments of the life of Jesus Christ. We need to understand the great sacrifice that was made, the cost he paid for you and I to be forgiven of our sins and to live in liberty. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the King James says it this way, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Reading it from the message, it says, But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death, while we were no use whatever to him. The next verse says, Now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If we were at our worst, if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, Just think how our lives will expand and deepen by means of resurrection life. I want to talk to you a few moments this morning about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about what he said. This week, I want to talk to you about what he did, what he endured, what he suffered for you and me. The Bible tells us very clearly it wasn't a pleasant scene. Someone said, well, I have an idea of what it was like because I watched the passion of Christ. May I tell you, you have no idea what it's like because Hollywood doesn't intend to kill that person portraying Christ. Yes, they may be able to put makeup on them. They may be able to somehow try to portray what occurred. But the scripture is where you find the source for what happened to Jesus Christ from the moment he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane until he died on the cross. Hollywood can never, ever replicate that because they're not trying to kill the guy. You need to understand that every action, every moment the Jews and the religious leaders took was for one reason and one purpose, and that was to kill Jesus Christ. They wanted him dead, whatever the cost, no matter what laws they had to break, regardless of what it may look like, they wanted him dead. So today, let's talk about what Jesus endured. You know, he was arrested at night in the Garden of Gethsemane. His arrest and his trial before the high priest and the Sanhedrin was completely illegal by their own laws. They didn't care what it took. They didn't care what laws they had to break. They were going to kill Jesus Christ. And in that process, they intended to bring as much pain and as much suffering as humanly possible into his life. Says he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, brought before Ananias and then Caiaphas, who was the high priest, the Sanhedrin, seven 
70 religious rulers were there as well. The good thing to note, the Apostle Paul, his name at that point was Saul. That's his Hebrew name. He was a member of that 70 that pronounced death judgments upon Jesus Christ. It's interesting when we see what God does in others' life. He was brought before them. He was falsely accused. He was repeatedly struck in the face while blindfolded. His beard was literally pulled out in great chunks. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verse 65, then some begin to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. They beat him until his face was not even recognizable. It was deformed and disfigured from the repeated blows, from the beard being pulled out of his very cheeks and neck. Isaiah 52, 14, the Messianic prophet says, he didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured past recognition. That's a beating when you can't even know or recognize who that person is or was. And after the Jews and their kangaroo court pronounced the death sentence on Jesus, they had the power to try their own. They had the power to condemn them to death, but they didn't have the power under Roman law to execute anyone. So they took him before Pilate, and they wanted him to be there early because the Romans heard their cases in the praetorium very early in the morning. So they took him before Pilate, and Pilate examined him and questioned him and determined there's no reason for this man to die. He actually said to the Jews, I find no fault in him. But they were so wrought up, so angry, they had such mob mentality, they didn't care what the law said or what the governor said. All they cared was that Jesus die. Jesus died. And the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, the more, the greater they loved it. When Pilate was appeasing them, he had Jesus stripped and then scourged. Scourged means that he was whipped or beaten. The Roman soldier that used that whip is called a flagrum. It had actually nine tails on it, very long pieces of leather. And in those long pieces of leather, there were bits of glass, bone, whatever else they could find that would cut the flesh. And at the end of each one was a small metal ball to give it weight, to make the aim true. And 39 times that whip struck Jesus. It didn't just strip his back of its flesh. But when those nine tails hit him, they would wrap around the front of his torso. And when the Roman soldier pulled it, after those things that embedded in the skin, he ripped away skin. He tore muscle. He tore ligaments and tendons. And some say there were even places where Jesus' bones were showing as a result of that beating. The force and the result of that beating was horrendous. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I will offer my back to those who whip me. My cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I will not turn my face away from those who, who humiliate me and spit on me. But the Romans weren't done with just a beating. They were having fun. You understand that Roman soldiers were cruel, mean, vindictive, and they loved causing pain and suffering. So then after they beat him, they put a royal robe, a purple robe on him. 
They made a crown of thorns, the Bible says, and they shoved it between his scalp and his skin. Each thorn making a severe wound. Blood was profusely streaming. You say, how do you know that? The Bible doesn't say it because I've had cuts on my head. And I know it bleeds like crazy every time. The blood, no doubt, was running down his face, blinding his eyes. He couldn't see anything going on around him because of that crown of thorns and its result. And then it says that they paraded him around, walked him in a circle, hitting him with reeds or sticks and declaring, Hail the King of the Jews! Hail the King of the Jews! Bravo to him! Humiliation at its highest form. Then the Bible says they ripped that royal robe off of him, and in doing so, they pulled all that flesh open again that they had just exposed through the beating. Pain seared through his body. I doubt that there's anyone in this room that can even imagine the depth and the level of pain that Jesus endured. We can't imagine the wounds that were in and upon his body. We have no idea what that feels like. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. So as they took the robe off of him, they put his clothes back on him. And then they gave him the cross. It wasn't a cross like this. It was the cross bar for the cross. And they required him them to carry it to Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull. But the Bible tells us he was so weak from the beating, so weak from the abuse, so weak from the blood loss that he was unable to carry his cross. You can read it in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Verse 32 says that as they came out, they found a man from Cyrene, Simeon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Jesus was so abused, so weak, his body so shattered, there wasn't strength to carry that crossbeam for the cross he was about to die on. They recruited someone else and did it for him. And then they led him away to Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. All those names apply. And when that crossbeam was laid down on the ground, Jesus was laid down too. They stretched one out, arm out as far as it would go. And then they took a nail and drove it between his wrist and his hand. History tells us those nails were between six and eight inches long. And when that nail penetrated his wrist, it severed the median nerve, causing severe pain in his hand and paralysis. And then they took the other hand and they stretched it out as far as they could. So his chest was completely expanded and they drove a nail through that wrist as well. And then the Bible says they laid down the vertical post. And they took his feet and bent his knees upward so his feet would lay flat upon that cross. 
And then they nailed his feet to the cross as well. And then they took that cross and they dropped it into a hole in the ground. And when it fell into that hole, his shoulders, his elbows dislocated. Severe pain began to flow through his body like he had yet never experienced. He couldn't breathe because his chest was expanded and he had no way to get another breath. So he had to push himself up on his feet against those nails to catch a breath. His breathing became harder, more labored, more intense. His heart began to beat faster and faster and faster because of the loss of blood, because of the hydration, because of the pain that he was experiencing, because he couldn't breathe. And you know the story. Less than six hours later, he breathed his last breath. And when he breathed his last breath, this is what he said. And it should be good news for all of us today. He said, it is finished. Now to the Jews and the Romans, they thought that that meant he was going to die. He gave up the ghost. He quit trying to live. But that is not at all what he meant. What he meant is that the penalty for sin that rests upon every human being at that moment in time had been paid in full. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. Every one of us stand in the place where we have to pay the price for our sin. Every one of us are already judged guilty for the things that we have done, for being disobedient and rebellious against the commands of God. But when Jesus declared it is finished, that statement carried with it hope for every generation, for every man, woman, boy, and girl across the entire world, regardless of language, regardless of culture, regardless of skin color, it brought good news that whosoever will may come to him. Well, friend, we need to understand when he said it is finished, he was speaking down through the ages. He was looking to 2023. He was seeing people at All Nations Church this morning. And he's saying to us, it's over. It's finished. It's done. The battle has been won. I paid the price. When you call on me, never again will you be judged for your sin. It's finished. It's finished. It's over. Then he was taken from the cross. And may I tell you, he was dead. D-E-A-D, -E dead. There was no life left in that physical body. Some would tell you that he was simply unconscious, simply in a coma, that he was swooning. But that is not the case. His death paid the price for our sins. And then when they took him from the cross, those Jews, those little wily devils, said, we know what he said. He said, three days later, I'm going to rise again. So we want a Roman guard on this tomb. We want it sealed so he can't get out, so his disciples can't steal his body, so that they can't say he rose again from the dead. That was their answer to the death of Jesus Christ. 
when we think about it, we realize that our sin has captive, made us captive in a place we cannot escape. It's as though we're in the tomb. A stone is rolled across it. Satan has guards making sure we don't escape from that sin. But the good news is, three days later, the angel of the Lord rolled the stone away, and he said to the women, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah, the greatest comeback. Talk about that next week. When we think about death, often it scares us. It's a topic and a subject we want to avoid. We hate to think about it, and we don't at whatever the cost. We fear dying. We fear dying alone. We fear dying a painful death. We fear what may happen after we die. We fear the unknown, and death is the ultimate unknown. We fear death because of our sins. We fear death because we will one day stand before God. So death brings great fear into our lives. And, and we live as though we're never going to die. When we have issues we can't deal with, we self-medicate. We bury ourselves in our work. We find hobbies and habits to take our mind away from the certainty of dying. Martin Luther said it this way, we should live with the day of our death constantly before our eyes. That way we won't be surprised when it comes. And it will come. You see, death is no respecter of persons. The statistics are true. One out of every one human is going to die. It's absolutely true. One day Warren Buffett is going to die. And so will the poorest peasant in a village in Bangladesh. Death is the sentence that each one of us have to face. But when we understand that death is not the end, that Jesus conquered death, then we understand there is life beyond the grave. Death belongs in the realm of Satan. But when we come to Jesus Christ, we have the hope and the promise that even though I may walk into the valley of the shadow of death, I will have no fear because he is with me. See, often Christians fear death. And as a result, we limit what God can do in our lives. We restrict what he can accomplish through us because we're afraid to put ourselves in dangerous places. May I tell you that God will never lead you to a place but what he has already equipped you and empowered you and enabled you to walk through that place. Now, I know in the, in the modern Pentecostal church that when we see things coming against us, we want to avoid them, be delivered from them at all costs. But sometimes, friend, God's way through for us is to face it, to encounter it, to overcome it by being men and women of faith who say it doesn't matter what you throw against me because I've already won the ultimate victory. You killed him, but he rose again on the third day so I know I can walk wherever he leads me without fear. Without fear. Jesus broke the power of death. Tom, will you come back? By delivering us from the fear of death. 
There's been several occasions in my life when I've stared death in the face. And I told you this on November 22nd when I talked about the motorcycle wreck that when I knew I was going to hit that concrete barrier between the east and the westbound lanes on I-10. And when I knew my speed, I was going 80 miles an hour, could result in my death. There was absolutely no fear, none whatsoever. We can live that way when we know what lies beyond the grave, when we understand what Jesus endured and what Jesus said so we could live in victory. I did think this was going to hurt, and it did. Jesus broke the power of death. I have no idea how I'm going to die, and I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest with you. It's really not a pleasant topic, is it? People avoid planning their memorial service because they don't want to think about it. But again, can I tell you, if you want your service a certain way, you need to plan it and write it down so that your loved ones follow what you wish. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. I just know that one day, if Jesus doesn't return and call us home in the rapture, I will face death. And I'm totally certain when that day comes, there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever, when that day comes, I know what's going to happen. I know where I'm going to be. I know the promise I will inherit. And the moment I breathe my last breath, I will be in the presence of the living God and I will dwell with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, I told someone recently, if I'm ever at the place where I see eternity, where I see heaven, mark your calendar, I'm not coming back. Because it is so much greater over there. So much more wonder. It's there. He dries the tears from our eyes. It's there that he causes us to rejoice. It's there. There's no more sorrow and no more pain. Jesus endured the most horrific death you can imagine so that you, cannot, you and I could look at square in the face and we could say, death, you may win this time and take my life, but I got news for you. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus in one day. The trumpet of the Lord will sound, and I will rise to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall I ever be with the Lord. There's a hope through the death of Jesus Christ. There's promise through the death of Jesus Christ. There's assurance that we'll be in His presence. But if I die, and then try to show up at the gates of heaven talking about how good I am, all the sermons I've preached, all the people that have come to the Lord, all the mighty things that have been done, I'm going to be turned away because my good works won't get me there. The things I've done will not get me there. The only way to heaven is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by admitting you're a sinner, by asking Him to forgive you, by inviting Him into your life and becoming the Lord of your life to guide and to direct your steps. If it's left to my good works, I have no chance of getting in. Nada. Zero. Zip. It's not going to happen. But if I rely on His sacrifice, 
And if I am covered by his blood, if he has forgiven me of my sins, if I'm a child of the living God, the gates are thrown open. I am welcomed and received into eternity forever and ever and ever. Because he chose to die. Wall Street Journal several years ago published a cartoon. Showed a man walking toward the gates of heaven. And the closer he got, he saw a sign over those gates and it said, no deals. No deals. See, when you get to that point, it's much too late to try to bargain with God or deal with God or accept what Jesus has done. But we're on this side of the cross. We're living in the age of grace. And today, Jesus is saying, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's looking for you today. Holy Spirit is drawing you this morning. And he wants you to answer the question that either in this life or the one that follows, every person will have to answer. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe he died on a cross as the sacrifice for your sins? And do you believe he rose again from the dead on the third day? It's a yes or no answer. It doesn't take logic or reasoning. It takes surrender and submission to the Lord God Almighty. Either you believe it or you don't. There is no middle ground. And there is no other way into heaven except through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because we live on this side of the cross, we have forgiveness, we have hope, we have future, all given to us because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Satan is defeated, we're free because of a sacrifice. Picture this with me for a moment in Luke chapter 23. I believe it starts in verse 39, if I remember right. You'll find the narrative of Jesus hanging on the cross and two thieves on each side of him. It says that one of the thieves began to cuss him, rail against him, saying, if you're really the son of God, save us and save yourselves. The other thief said, don't you realize we're here because of what we did? He's here as an innocent man. And then Jesus said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. I want you to think about this for just a moment. And, and this is just my, but think about it. Think about that thief on the cross when he died, walking up to the gates of heaven and the angel of the Lord saying to him, who are you and why are you here? All he said was, I don't know. That man told me to come. What right do you have to be there? I don't know. Do you know the doctrines of the church? Never heard of them. Do you believe in sanctification? Never heard of it. Do you believe in redemption? I don't even know what that is. Finally, he says, well, why are you here? And he responded, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. And he's saying to you and I today, come, come, come. Stand with me this morning. 
across this room. You're in this place today and you need to come. You're online today and you need to come to Jesus. Right now, right where you stand without any further invitation. He's saying, come. He's saying, come. He's saying, come. Just step out and begin to come. Come into this altar. We're going to pray together. God's going to touch you. His power and His strength is going to flow through you. Come, He says. Come. If you need forgiveness, come. If you need hope, come. If you need restoration, come. If you need Him to do something or anything in your life, right now, step out and come. The invitation is for you. The invitation is for you. You need healing? Come. Everything was taken care of when he declared, it is finished. Come. Let him touch you. Let him forgive you. Let him heal you. Let him manifest his life in your life today. As Tom begins to sing this song, you step out and come. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.